0: In that moment, Bob, do you are you such a good guy that you look at him and say, "Are you are you sure about this?"
1: No, I no, I that, <laughs> no. Um, at that point, I'm Everybody praying. Has. I'm praying that those emotions that are coursing through his veins, yeah, do not cause him to stand up, yeah. put the pen down, stand up, and walk out. Lead by example with Bob Myers presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. You bet, you get. With Caesars rewards, must be 21 or older.
0: This episode was recorded prior to Bob Iger's return to the Walt Disney Company. Welcome to Lead by Example. I'm Bob Myers. Today we have a, another Bob here, uh, Bob Iger, a little, little more established and renowned than, than, than this one. But uh, I could go into all the accolades, Bob, but I assume the people watching and listening are, are aware of who you are and what you've done and and it's a pretty long list, so i'm I'm gonna skip it if you don't if that doesn't offend you we're we're gonna get to all of it through the course of this
1: okay, that's fine fine now, by I, the way you you hold up pretty well against me or you stack up pretty well
0: yeah, don't have any I don't have any nBA championship groups. well. One day, we can get, let's get to that later. Maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. I I think I just opened
1: uh, a can of worms.
0: (laughs) No, we're going to, that's going to be the final, we'll get to that in the final chapter. So I, looking at your life, which is fascinating to me, um, there's so many parts that I could jump into, but as you did in your job uh, leading for as many years as you did, you get a lot of resumes. Um, I imagine getting the resume of a young Bob Iger and seeing the fact that you stocked grocery stores and delivered pizza, that would jump out to me. It really would. And I would say, because I don't know that um, maybe different age, different time, to me that says a lot about someone. What what were those experiences like for you? And, And did they shape you or you just needed the money and that was the job you got?
1: Well, both. I definitely needed the money. I grew up under relatively modest circumstances. And from a relatively early age, I had to make money to spend money, meaning... You know, if I wanted certain, I'll call it luxuries. Then, by the way, is being able to buy the newest Beatles album. That was a luxury. Um, Then I had to figure out a way to earn the money to do that. I just didn't, you know, my parents, um, you know, put a roof over my head and fed me well. And I certainly had clothes on my back. But I'll call it the discretionary or frivolous things I had to work for. And so I I worked in a variety of so-called menial jobs, willingly, by the way, without complaint. The most interesting thing about it is interesting. I don't know whether this is a, what comes first, but whether I had a great work ethic to begin with and when I went to work even in those early jobs, that work ethic was on display or whether I learned when I had those jobs that if I worked hard, my work would be appreciated and there would be rewards reaped if I did that. Yeah. And oh. that's that topic alone or that dynamic for me Really has had more of an impact on my career than just about anything else. Meaning, learning early the power of hard work, mm-hmm. and um, and the opportunities that hard work hard work creates was such a, a valuable early lesson. And I think actually I'm where I am today because of that.
0: What what, what was that? You you you. It sounds like you don't even know now why the why of that. Like was that you? Was that your parents? What what. Did something happen that taught you I have to work hard? This is just the way of the world, or or you just woke up as a kid and, and that's what you were and that's who you are?
1: Well, I think look, a lot of it has to be um, genetic, or 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 my or my or my parents in some form or another, even subtly instilling that value in me. Um, I, I I'm not a, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but what? seemed very clear to me is that uh, hard work would enable me to overcome other, I'll call them either deficiencies or insecurities that I had. So for right. instance, I thought I always felt I was a normal intellect. I actually still feel that way. I, I, I worked with people who seemed significantly smarter than I was, at least at the time. And maybe again, little, this was insecurity. I don't know. I made up for that with hard work. I just outworked everybody. Um, and sometimes it was just stature, you know. Even my days at ABC Sports, working alongside people who went to Stanford and Harvard and and had MBAs and you name it. And I, you know, I went to a, a fine small liberal arts school in upstate New York called Ithaca College, but not the pedigree that those I was competing with had. And I thought, wow, I'm, I'll you know never um, either outrank them or or, or be as successful. Until I discovered that, well, wait a minute—that might not be true. If I work really hard, harder than them, that will—that yeah. will make up for what at least I perceived the time to be, you know, some of my uh, deficiencies. You've,
0: like I said, had a longer journey, but in your life, any story that you think shaped you, whether tragic, joyous, young, old, middle, middle-aged—is there—is there a moment where you said, if I had? This 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 thing that happened to me or this event changed me, in a way. Well, there were things that
1: happened that opened up the doors to new opportunities that ended up having a material impact on what I what I did next. Not really, um, it was more more circumstance than anything. Like for instance, I um, very early on, 1974, my first year working at ABC is basically a production assistant. I get assigned to a Frank Sinatra concert at Madison Square Garden. ABC was covering it live. And it was being co-produced by a guy named Rune Arledge, who was then the head of ABC Sports, and really the father of modern sports television, and renowned in the business already as a genius and a risk-taker and a great storyteller and an innovator. And um, I clearly, I'll call it, showed up well. At, mm. uh, at at that concert, it was my first network credit. You can still, if you go to YouTube mm. and watch it, my name is on there, so I it was me. Um, I believe and the, you. <laughs> and the thing ended, and the ABC Sports people. I, I had an incident with a boss that was um, on the take, where he was he was corrupt, not right. at ABC Sports, and I was trying to um, turn him in, and he found out about it, and he threatened to fire me.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I was in another department. And I basically said, find a job somewhere else in the company, but if you stay with me, you're not going to stay very long. Right. And I called up the folks I worked for at, on the Sinatra concert, and I said, I'm in need of another job at the company. And they said, come on over. And they, the first reaction was, they said, what took you so long? We would, would have hoped you would wanted to work come work for us like the day after the concert. Yeah. They were impressed with what they saw. That opened up 13 years of my career that that you know started at the bottom I ended up being the executive vice president of programming for ABC sports I I worked on six Olympic Games and Monday Night Football and World right. Series and you name it and learned a tremendous amount um, and earned a fair amount too along the way and became you know well known at the company as someone who Performed well, worked hard, interesting, or developed that reputation early. I was one of the, I think, the youngest per person in the history of the company to be named a vice president, right. for instance.
0: Was it hard when you were working for somebody that was corrupt? Was that an easy call to say, I'm not doing this and I'm turning them in? Was it Because a lot of people would be scared to get fired. It sounds like this, this person threatened you or you knew you'd be fired if you turned them in. He, me way, that got led, he
1: got led out of, the, out of the, his office, I think, in handcuffs. He wow. ultimately was indicted for what he but, did.
0: Um, wow. So, so did you know what you were risking, or you were, you were kind of like, I, I have no ch- Well, here's what I thought
1: I was risking. I was being asked to aid and abet his efforts. Okay. So people who worked for him were being asked to um, take on certain tasks that he mm-hmm. would benefit from personally. Right. And the risk that I thought I was taking was doing that eating I, a medic. I thought that yeah. would bring me down. Yeah. I don't even remember thinking that what I was trying to do in terms of turning him in was a risk yeah. at all okay, which is interesting to me. uh I'm not an overly fearful person.
0: I want to talk about that i wanna can I ask you about that because I read some of the things you've said um and written that's interesting to me because you said that um You've never led from from a fear position, meaning you you don't you're never you don't have this fear of failure, right? This fear of if I'm wrong. I think that's a pretty unique trait in leadership, um, especially someone who has led as long as you have. In that, there was probably a ton of times where you could have just done nothing and been fine, and not went into the world of trying to buy Pixar or Lucas. All the things you did. What what? Because you know, if it didn't go well, you know, obviously it did, but you risked a lot.
1: Yeah. You know, was that
0: easy to just say, hey, I don't if this doesn't work. I- it was easier I- than than
1: people maybe would think that it would have been. I mean, I, I my first meeting with the Disney board as CEO, I proposed buying Pixar, which turned out to be a seven point three billion dollar acquisition. That's pretty that's pretty crazy thing yeah. to propose in your first meeting as CEO. I felt, and I still do, by the way, in a world that is constantly evolving, and particularly today's world, and and, and transforming and being disrupted, trying to stay still, trying to maintain a pat hand, trying to protect an incumbent position is not a winning strategy. So what I looked at was the risk associated, it's interesting thinking about the risk associated with a corrupt boss. What's riskier, helping him be corrupt or turning him in for being corrupt? Yeah. in this particular case, I always thought that the riskier position would be to do nothing, right? Be to play it safe. Uh, and so that maybe enabled me to discount the risk of making changes, of making acquisitions. We'll talk later maybe about transforming the company in, into streaming, right? But um, I think part of it also had to do with a confidence that I had in our ability to execute. So if you declare that a strategy, an acquisition, a move that you're making, particularly when you're a CEO of a company, is absolutely the right thing to do, Mm -hmm. then what it comes down to is if it's the right thing to do, can you do it really well? Can you execute well? Right. You may, in your position, know that trading for a certain player is absolutely the right thing to do, but it still comes down to that player ultimately performing well, you know, when they get there or fitting in with the team.
0: Yep. Yeah, but but I also would say you, you you skipped over how hard it is to figure out what the right thing to do is. I mean, for you, you're assuming that sure by for you maybe it was easy to say Pixar or whatever the purchases were or, or we talk about streaming later. Getting to that, I, I look at it a little differently. Figuring out the right thing to do is often the hardest thing, then executing it. But you're you're kind of saying it's clear what the I don't think it's as clear what the right thing to do well, is. Well, I, I
1: think. Uh, that's an interesting one. I, when I went through the succession process to become CEO, which was an arduous process, and I was considered somewhat of a dark horse candidate because I was an internal, the internal candidate working for a CEO, Michael Eisner, who had brilliant, a brilliant first you know, ten years as CEO and a rough last ten years um, through circumstances that you know were complicated. Um, the board was concerned that because I had worked for him for five years as COO, that I would just be more of the same, and I wouldn't bring change. And so, anyway, it was I was a long shot. Because of that, they in the succession process, I knew I had to impress upon them why I should get the job. And one way to do that was to have a very, very clear strategy to that I would deploy at Disney if I got the job. Hmm. So, one was creating the strategy. Second, it was figuring out how to articulate it to the board with complete resolve, meaning no hesitation, with a confidence, maybe an overconfidence. So I think as CEO, but so I did that before I became CEO in order to become CEO. But I think if you're running a big organization, you're called upon all the time to make yeah. a call about the future. Yeah. Lead Where, where are you going to take the, the, the yeah. organization, the business? Sometimes yeah. it's trying to be predictive. Where's the world going and where should you be in that world? Sometimes you don't even have the luxury of that, that knowing about the future is more difficult. But you got to keep moving forward. And that yeah. means making calls. It's basically your, your own GPS, yeah. you are know? you're, you're setting what, what, the direction and yes, there's a risk associated with it, but that's what you get paid the big
0: bucks to do. More lead by example after this. And we're back. We know each other a little bit. Uh, uh. It seems to me, um, you, you mentioned a slight insecurity, we all have, I believe, everybody carries a little insecurity, but you seem to me to have kind of this confidence of, I'm gonna do this, I believe in this, and if it doesn't work, I'll be fine. Where, where it didn't, it, and I think, in my opinion, that what might be made you so likable and successful um, is that you you seem sure, but you don't beat people over the head with, it was your idea, I did this, I did that. Um, and in leadership, I think that's kind of rare, a little bit. Well,
1: on the second part, um, which is the taking credit and I did this, I'm always a big, always a big believer in sort of the, either the truth will set you free. And
0: people, yeah.
1: You know what you've done and people will know what you did and mm-hmm. they may give you credit for it or not, but you still know what you've done. I never felt that I had to convince people or, or to, um, to necessarily tout it. Yeah, um, you know, the, my record speaks for itself, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that simple.
0: You touched upon something in the
1: beginning the, of that. The, 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 the com, uh, you, you
0: what? What gives you this sureness? What? Where well, is that? So,
1: yeah, obviously, as I um, aged <laughs> and got more mature and got more comfortable in my in certainly my job running Disney. I became more confident in my own abilities and my own instincts. Maybe so, so to a point where too confident. We'll talk about that. But um, so I even became. I became. I addressed some of my own insecurities just by by being successful. (laughs) (laughs) Just happened. It was a lucky thing. But I also. I think in many ways, I felt. I felt not. This wasn't. I don't know. I, I wasn't obsessed with this, but. I was an underdog in almost everything that I did for a long time. I, I noted I was kind of an underdog to become CEO. There are a lot of people who didn't believe in me. People uh-huh. said, don't even bother. You're not going to get it. You should leave the business. Uh-huh. At one point, I was made head of ABC Entertainment. I had never worked in the entertainment side. I had only been in sports. People said, well, you'll never make it there. You've never read right. a script before. Um, I, I had, you know, I go all, going all the way back, you know, my dad was a, A well-educated man, went to Wharton, was a talented man, played a brilliant trumpet player um, and had manic depression and spent a lifetime being unfulfilled and frustrated because he couldn't hold a job because of his manic depression. And I I think, and so I lived, I grew up in very modest means and maybe that helped teach me a great work ethic. I don't know, but because of that, I felt I was not starting out with help. I didn't, I never felt that I had wind at my
0: back. Yeah, that's interesting. That to me is a big, and and now, and now you have children, and they have a little wind. Right, I will too. I mean, I have three daughters. They're gonna have wind at their back. They have wind at their back. You're you're kind of the first generation, you know, of of your of your group. Um, um. It sounds like your father was brilliant, but you didn't grow up. You had to work, and you had to.
1: Um... I had no no wind in my back other than yeah. Well, the love and the love of my parents and from my yeah. parents was. You know that's a lot not, yeah not everybody feels that it was palpable to me love and support yeah. encouragement sometimes yeah. maybe a little too much encouragement what? um yeah well it's interesting bringing up kids who you know pr- certainly children of privilege and trying to figure out to instill in them the fact that they got to create their own wind a little bit in other words yeah. their own opportunity i don't think they'll ever be at the point where you know they they will feel like they're underdogs as much as I did. They're not delivering
0: pizza. They're not. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. They, no, they're they, doing a different form of that. Different, different. Not pizza. Well, they both
1: let's see. They, they did they, they both had summer jobs. Yeah. Um, actually, they for three or four years each of them uh, helped a, a basketball coach coach. Um, professional players in a gym here in LA and that meant opening the gym turning the lights on yeah. making sure there were towels feeding them water rebounding right. for them yeah. now i i scraped gum off the bottom of desks working at it as a junior high school summer uh, custodian
0: right yeah <laughs> that's, a tough, to that. that's a that's a very low bar to slide under you know i don't know how much is the uh, what um back to your decisions you you said something interesting as far as maybe you became overconfident in the end i don't i don't know what you're referring to there but was there a decision you made uh, anywhere along the way or a course you took where you said, if this doesn't work, I'm getting fired? Did you ever risk that or feel oh, that? Oh, yes. yes. What was the one where you were the most, you went to bed that night and told your wife or friend, hey, this, this is dicey? Uh, this, well, this one. it's
1: interesting. The Pixar acquisition probably would have been the first big one. Um, right. I'm, if you I'm, didn't get it
0: or if it didn't work? If it didn't work. Okay.
1: I'm a brand new CEO. Uh, Disney Animation, which is, had been a driver of not only brand perception, but of the bottom line for Disney for decades, was a mess and had to be fixed. I kind of knew that if I didn't fix it fast, my tenure as CEO would not be long-lasting. Right. And my wife, Willow, reminded me a number of times that the average tenure of a Fortune 500 CEO was like three and a half years. Right. That was actually quite interesting. One, she's mm. saying, don't get too used to this because... You know, it, you may you may fit into average, um, uh, but she was but in a way, what she was also saying was go for it. Right. In other words, you're in a position where taking risks may be the best thing you could do. Yeah, because if you don't, then you may not address some of the issues that need to be addressed, and you'll end up you'll end up you know basically falling into average, which is not ever a right. job. At all. So I knew that if I didn't fix Disney Animation, I'm in trouble. It turns out I I saw a radical approach or took a radical approach to doing that, which is rather than replacing a few people who are running Disney animation, I didn't really have that many alternatives. I decided I'd buy Pixar and bring all those folks in to completely Uh redo animation at the company, not only bring Pixar in, but to have them run Disney animation and then bring Steve Jobs in, our our largest shareholder and a member of the board, which also had a very positive impact Mm-hmm. on the company um so my you know but i knew i i did not go to sleep telling willow if this doesn't work i'm gone she knew right. i didn't have to she knew
0: my she wife knew. calls <laughs> me average too so i that that, that may be good right it That's may helpful. be good to- <laughs>
1: yeah, we need to be reminded every once in a while that, you know,
0: yeah maybe, it, it you was know. unsaid if it didn't work she knew and you knew where it was where it was going but i
1: knew But i knew i knew if it didn't work out uh, wall street was gave me a hard time for it and a lot of people thought I was crazy, and if it didn't work out, I was gone. Right. You know, there's a great quote from Teddy Roosevelt, um, former president. It, it's called the man in the arena quote, and it yeah. starts talking about it's not the critic who counts, it's the person who's actually in the arena, you know, who basically yep. is in the fight, but it ends with, if he fails, at least fails daring greatly, right. so that he will never be with those timid souls that know neither victory nor defeat. Right. That has right. been a... Kind of almost a beacon of mine yeah. for a very long time, which is look, go for it. If you're gonna yeah. you know yeah. if you're gonna you know if you're gonna try something, do something
0: bold. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That one strikes a chord too, because with me, because I'm in this arena where we compete so many times. And most in our league, my league that I'm in, 30 teams compete and one succeeds. So so 29 others have dared greatly and not achieved. And there's so many times in my life where I've thought, why am I doing, what am I, you don't, there's only one outcome that that feels good at the end, um, but I've fallen back on being in that arena is worth the pain, is worth mm-hmm. feeling like you came up short, but you took a shot. And I, I've always, like you said, it's interesting to hear you say that in a leadership role, sometimes not taking the shot is more painful than taking it, right? Had Pixar not even worked... You would have had more trouble sleeping if you didn't try to do it than, yeah. than doing it and failing by trying to do it. I know? think there's a so great
1: I, Wayne Gretzky quote about taking a shot. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. He it it says
0: you can't, you never make the ones you don't take or something like It's like Michael Jordan. Yeah, like I never, well, never George make the shot you don't take. You know, I, I was scared to shoot. I was not a good player. So I, I never took a game winning shot. But
1: interesting. As as um, I wasn't a player, but I got the job and I realized I got to take shots. And, yeah. And you also real. I did this when I was at ABC Entertainment Programming primetime for ABC2, which is television at that point had gotten cookie cutter like a lot of shows that were derivative of other shows. No one was taking big risks in network TV at the time. Cable mm-hmm. mm-hmm. was just formed, really starting to grow and come into its own. That's where all the risks were being taken. I thought, well, why can't we take risks? Yeah. And the reason we couldn't is that most people who were in those jobs were fearful of their jobs if they took a risk and it didn't work. Sure. And so I put Twin Peaks on ABC in 1990. People thought I was yeah. out of my mind. Yeah. And, and, but I got Oops. so much and it didn't it failed. It it worked and then it failed. Mm-hmm. I got more credit for that failing than I did for anything yeah. that succeeded.
0: Yeah. It's it, it's you also wasn't just Pixar. So I read also that you went beyond and, and Marvel and Lucas and you you convinced people that didn't need to sell, didn't want to sell to sell I find that pretty interesting. And what is there any unique story of sitting with these people at that level across the table? Want they want and need nothing. Um, you're asking them to either come aboard or or let, give up control or or, or join. In, and um, probably dealing with some people that are highly successful and highly independent. How did you cross that bridge?
1: They were all they were all they unique meaning they were different circumstances but they were also all similar and that each one of them was one-on-one which is me to them can you tell uh, us who they
0: were tell, tell uh, everybody who sure. no,
1: not, and none of them were for sale by the way right. so uh, when I while being while CEO of Disney uh, we acquired Pixar in 2006 Marvel in 2009 and Lucasfilm Star Wars in 2012. All three cases, those businesses were controlled by a controlling stakeholder. Steve Jobs owned 50% of Pixar, controlled the company in, in, um, uh, in, in more ways than one. Um, Marvel was controlled and run by a gentleman named uh, Ike Promutter, who owned enough shares to control um, Marvel. And in Lucas's case, George Lucas owned 100% of Lucasfilms. It's an amazing accomplishment, really. No partners. No shareholders except himself, all his, and certainly you know part of who he was. Right. None of them were for sale. That meant that one go in alone, no entourage, just me, plain mm-hmm. talk, kind of disarming in a way when you do that. But it's also uh, much easier for the person who you're talking with to focus on the message and the conversation of the person because they're just not distracted by others in the room, mm-hmm. and um, enabled me to talk sort of plainly and with candor in steve's case i laid out a proposition that there was an opportunity to fix disney animation and in doing so give the pixar talent both technology and storytelling an opportunity to play in a much bigger sandbox not just Mm -hmm. Pixar. it was a publicly traded company they were making one movie a year if one of those movies failed there was always the risk that pixar would go down because of that that was not something that steve was obsessed with but it was always in the back of his mind so I, and, and I promised him and he trusted that I, I I would fulfill it, that I would honor the culture and the legacy and the people of Pixar. Yeah. And I made a good case. He made me make that case to the senior leadership of Pixar and they bought, they, they basically bought it too, meaning they, they said yes and off we went. And I proved that not only was the acquisition right, but in giving the Pixar people a chance to run Disney Animation It challenged them and fulfilled them, and they succeeded wildly. It gave birth to movies like Frozen and Tangled and Moana and Zootopia and even Encanto. There's just a rich legacy of great animation thanks to them. Then I talked to Ike Perlmutter about Marvel, and I used Pixar as the example because Steve Jobs took all Disney stock in that transaction, and he got it when it was not even $30 a share and it shot up well eventually went to 200 but um, that was after he died but it went up well a into the hundreds while he was still alive so there yeah. was a significant well, gain steve by he the didn't way didn't need the money Did he he wasn't Did he? driven by money he didn't care about it yeah. but in marvel's yeah. case it was not only ike but there were other shareholders that he mm-hmm. was had a fiduciary responsibility to and i convinced them that disney stock would be a bargain was a bargain that bringing Marvel in would enable Disney stock to grow even more mm-hmm. because it was a great IP and what we could do with it. I also talked about honoring the people there and the legacy mm-hmm. and made a great case alone. I also had Steve call him.
0: That's, and, that, that helps.
1: And vouch for me. It yeah. did help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny because Steve said, I went to Steve and I pitched Marvel to him and he said, I hate comic books. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's get past that. Would you do me a favor? <laughs> and he said, what's that? What's said, well, let me take you through it. And right. we did. And then um, <clears throat> he said, uh, what would you like me to do? And I told him I'd like you to call Ike and tell him what a great guy I am. And then I fulfilled mm-hmm. my promises to you. He said, I'll do that. Interestingly enough, at that same meeting with Steve, he said, we ought to buy, if you do this,
0: we ought to buy Star Wars next. That's great. And he had you he, thought of that before he said that, or you were, you're were I of,
1: Yes. We had a list of yeah, acquisition targets yeah. and actually star Wars would have been my priority, but I wasn't able to, uh, Steve wanted to, and I had talked at one point of possibly about doing that. And we were going to get together with George and it never happened. Steve got sick and yeah. we never, we never got to it while he was still alive. But right. but the bottom line is that Steve said after that, the Marvel conversation, he said, I think at one point he said, We had already talked about it before. He said what you ought to do first is Lucasfilm. Mm. And I said, No, I've already got this other one teed up, let's do that and then we'll do Lucasfilm.
0: Yeah. Was who was the toughest to sway? George Lucas. Yeah. So that yeah.
1: came the next was George and I I was well aware of the value of Star Wars, but there hadn't been a film made in a while and it was little in the pipeline. George had some outlines for new films. And it really was not for sale. And I knew that he was, and I had a relationship with him that's actually quite interesting. I put um, a show that he developed called Young Indiana Jones on ABC in the early '90s, mm-hmm. and it was it was not all that successful. But I gave it a second season because I knew how passionate he was about it, mm-hmm. and he was fulfilling his end of the bargain. It's just the audience wasn't buying it. Oh, yeah. I Meaning yeah. he was delivering a show of great quality. Right. And. Um, in 2011, when I met with him, what happened was he was rededicating an attraction at Disney World called Star Tours. Yeah, So I figured, well, I'll go down there. Yeah, the is still break-
0: going right now.
1: Yeah, still going.
0: <laughs> I'll have breakfast with him,
1: and I'll broach the subject about him selling uh, Lucasfilm, which was took yeah. me. It was, I must say, I was intimidated and nervous. And we sat down, and... The first thing I said to him was, have you ever considered selling? And he said, not really. But I think maybe he had, but he was never, it was never serious. Yeah, right. And no one had ever even talked to him about buying. Hmm. And he said to me, but, you know, if I ever sell, I, th- I would really like to sell to Disney. And he cited wow. two things. He cited what we had done with Pixar, which was immensely successful at that point. And the Indiana
0: Jones story about my giving it a second season. Wow, that's that. I want to stop with that. Two things. So it's interesting you talk about leadership. You you can comment on this. I'll I'll compliment you, but I'd love for you to add on. I I do believe you're telling this story. People are listening to it and might be thinking, well, Disney's a powerful brand. You know, when they come knocking, you listen. But but I would push back on that and say if it wasn't you specifically you, that walked in that room, if it was somebody that wasn't appeared, didn't appear trustworthy or authentic, it's easy for Steve Jobs to not like you or believe you, and that never happens. Or Ike, or George. And I think that's what gets lost in some of this stuff is, yeah, you had a powerful brand behind you, but if you weren't you, specifically you, who appears you did hold up your end of the bargain, you did show up in a way by yourself. You didn't show up with six lawyers. You probably didn't show up with any pretense. You probably met them at their level in a, in a humble way. If you don't do that, and a lot of people listening might say, yeah, I don't believe, I, I don't think these things get done. I think that's the unique component of it.
1: Well, that's very, that's kind of you to say. Um when you're trying to buy companies that aren't for sale, you got to show up in a pretty unique way. You got to it's not only the pitch, but you have to be you mentioned it, you have to be authentic. Um you have to really be trustworthy and you have to earn that trust very quickly. As it turns out with George, I had earned that years back and didn't even really realize it.
0: Yeah, with that second show,
1: you said. Yeah, with Ike, I never met him before. Um but I think Steve helped basically, you know, um he sold me
0: well to Ike and told him yeah. I could be trusted. And but when you did was, that second show, Bob, when you did you know at the time this is a long game? And I'm I wasn't
1: thinking game. that as much as I was thinking about George Lucas, who I had enormous and continue to, by the way, respect for. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I've George brought this show to us. Yeah. That was a favor in some ways that was a great to begin with i owe it to him mm-hmm. he's george lucas you know yeah. um not to just be capricious or not i mean i had ample reason to cancel it after the first season right. but but i had no reason to cancel it in a way yeah meaning yeah. george and interestingly yeah. enough when we talked more you know I, I, about selling and he said that to me and i said well He said, I'm not really thinking about selling now. And I ended up saying something that I think resonated with him, although it was a hard thing to say. And that is, you know, George, at some point, you should decide who buys Lucasfilm. Don't let your estate, you know, don't let whoever the executor of your estate is. Yeah. Yeah. um, Because if you are, and I knew that, that I I knew he would feel this way, but I didn't understand the depth of it. If you really want to put it in the right hands, then make sure you You make that decision. Yeah. And, and six months later, he called me, having thought about it, and said, I'd like to talk to you about what we talked about. Uh-huh. And that led to a negotiation, which was, it wasn't was easy. Uh-huh. Um, I Right up to, it, you know, he came to my office to sign the deal. Uh-huh. And the day we announced it, we sat side by side at my desk with a contract in front of us to buy Lucasfilm for four billion fifty million billion, And I could, sitting next to him. I feel I, it. Such empathy. Yeah. This was his baby. Yeah. As he said to me, when I, mean, I die, he said, my epitaph or what my tombstone is going to read, George Lucas, creator of Star Wars. Yeah. And more than that, of course. And I could tell he felt
0: like he was signing away part of his life. In that moment, Bob, do you, are you such a good guy that you look at him and say, are you, are you sure about this?
1: No, I no. I that, no. Um at that point I'm Everybody praying. Has- I'm praying that those emotions that are coursing through his veins yeah. do not cause him to stand up, yeah. put the pen down, yeah. stand up and walk out.
0: Yeah. That, that, was, yeah. Possible. Yeah. that was possible. Yeah. Possible. You know, it was yeah. sort of
1: like at the altar,
0: leaving me yeah. at the altar. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, it's, it's I was amazing. You-
1: really nervous. He he made me very nervous.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? You know, Self awareness.
1: Going back for a minute, I told the story. I told the story in the book that I wrote. Steve Jobs, an hour before we announced the Pixar acquisition, on the Pixar campus, said, "If you got a minute, let's take a walk." Mm-hmm. And I was certain he wanted to back out of the deal. And mm-hmm. it turns out that the reason he wanted to sit with me was to tell me, in great confidence, that the cancer that he had had in 2004. This was now 2006 had come back oh, and he man. wanted me to know that because he wanted to give me the ability to back out of the deal because wow. he was to be Disney's biggest shareholder and a member of the board and he was concerned that that if he didn't tell me that that he would it would have been an act of betrayal on his part yeah and so he took me into his confidence i kept his confidence but i decided yeah. to go forward with the acquisition but there was a moment there when he says let's go for a walk and I'm thinking, yeah yeah you want maybe he's got cold feet
0: it's interesting though and I want to we are going to get to the MBA I'm going to leave a little time for that but to, to finish this you you know Disney is such a big brand uh, as is Apple and Marvel and Lucasfilms sometimes the p- people forget at the top of these brands are human beings that, that are making decisions that move these brands in directions and they they're stewards of these brands but it's fascinating to hear these things like at a basic level you're representing Disney on a walk with the man representing Apple, two of the biggest companies in the world, maybe sitting on a bench where he's confessing to you in a very decent way, uh, um, I might not be able to hold up my part for health reasons or and I'm giving you a chance um, to not move forward. And, and mm-hmm. I think we forget that people talk about culture and that culture is just human beings leading and making decisions and I love hearing about these very intimate one-on-one sitting next to George Lucas on a walk with Steve Jobs and 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 maybe understanding that as as these behemoth type companies and the bigger they get it's still a person a man or a woman guiding these things and 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 it's that you got to sit there and experience that on the very front lines to me is just fascinating from a human level. Obviously, I understand the business ramifications. Um, So that's a life pretty well lived. Those are great. Appreciate you telling those things. More lead by example after this.
1: The thing about Caesars Sportsbook, it's not just an app. It's your key to a whole empire. Hotels, casinos, restaurants, shows, Caesars Palace. I'm sure you've heard of it. Every bet you place with Caesars Sportsbook brings you closer to perks only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays at iconic destinations, app bonuses, merch, show tickets, and many more Caesars Rewards perks. So get started today. Register using code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to
0: $1,250. If you win, Congrats. If you don't, you'll get your stake back as a bet credit. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call one 800 next step. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call one 800 522 4700 Indiana, call one 800 9 with it. Iowa, call one 800 bets off. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed to horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call one 800 270 7117 Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 gambler which is one 800 426 2537 Or in West Virginia, visit one 800 gamblernet New York call 8 8- 877 8 H O P E N Y or text H O P E N Y 467 369. And we're back. When you were doing that stuff, Bob, um, streaming was not even a part of the thought, was it? Or was it too early? Well,
1: when I got the job, we talked earlier about the strategy I had to declare um, when I became, we're trying to become CEO. I had started to see, and we all did, the impact of technology as a disruptive force of traditional media movies, television, et cetera. Everything from Steve Jobs and iTunes platform and and mobility and the so-called rip, mix, and burn philosophy, which, my goodness, what's going to happen to intellectual property? Um, And people basically having more and more choices in -hmm. terms of how they are entertained or informed. And so I felt, let's not worry about either disruption or well, not, not, I shouldn't say disruption. Let's not worry about transformation or, or change in distribution. Let's figure out what's the most valuable, even in a world that changes dramatically right before our eyes or our business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was clear to me was that great storytelling, particularly branded storytelling, would survive mm-hmm. transformation, no right. matter how um, radical or how profound transformation was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so making the bet on investing more in Disney, fixing Disney animation, buying Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars. I was betting that with all of that great storytelling branded, that when the world changed, whether it was from channel watching or movie theater watching or whatever, to mobile and streaming and digital, et cetera, we would still not only survive, but we would thrive. Uh So that was the bet. Did I know there would be streaming? Not 100%. Did I know that people would start to watch movies and television shows on mobile platforms, out of the yeah. home, in yeah. many different ways? Absolutely. You yeah. saw that. All you had to do was watch what happened to the music industry in the 2000 to 2005 era, which is yeah. the habit, really, of yeah. iTunes. Yeah. Um, people buying just a song, not an album. Yeah. People not yeah. going buying the physical goods, but downloading a file. Yeah and yeah. listening to it on a mobile device. Yeah. We yeah. had Walkman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was betting on was change, inevitable. And that, in a way, I was prescient in that I, I, I wasn't necessarily articulating that it would be streaming, but yeah, I knew a sure. day would come. When yeah. we would look out on the media horizon, it would not look anything like the horizon looked like when I got the job in 2005, mm-hmm. certainly when I started. You go back yeah. to 1974, Yeah. Um, And so the bet on streaming was a natural progression, really, of what we had been doing and articulating
0: for then over a decade, which is transformation. But you didn't the streaming thing. When you talk about the wake up at two in the morning, is this the right decision that was that an easier you have a higher level of confidence in that trying to take on a Netflix and say, because it didn't feel like at the time it was you actually did it, which is congratulations. Um, but in at the moment, did it feel as big of a task as it as it looks back in hindsight? Is it?
1: No, it was huge. It was right. a big task. I'll tell you why. You're asking an organization, as many organizations in business um, exhibit, to disrupt itself, and mm-hmm. that and and organizations are designed to do the opposite. too. right. That's why there's an innovator's dilemma. It's real. To protect their incumbent position. And yeah. that means doing everything possible to ward off change. Well, no one can ward off change or the march of technological advancement. And many try. If you can look yeah. at you know, what happened to, I don't know, Kodak and why yeah. didn't they go digital right away? Or yeah. um, the American car companies, why didn't they go electric earlier? Yeah. Sure. Um, we got to strengthen and protect our current business, even in the face of insurg- insurgents coming in. And suddenly, you wake up one day and you realize, "Oh my goodness, the insurgents have actually, are actually yeah. winning." Yeah, you know. And then the and then you, 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 first you're in denial for a while. By the yeah. way, record companies too. Yeah, um, you're in denial, and then you realize, "Oh my goodness, we better pivot in and figure out how to join them in some form."
0: But was then, that a, a good challenge, have- though? Was that a challenge that you sought and met? In a in a way, we're like, yep, this is exciting. We're going to go for
1: this. Well, it was yes, a huge challenge. First of all, you have to articulate the vision and why. It's very important for anybody who is transforming a company. What do we need to do, and why? what are the reasons why, and the reasons mm-hmm. why are obviously to protect your business and ultimately to enable it to thrive in a new world order. The next thing is why will this be good for us? Not just for protective reasons, but why might yeah. this? actually pay huge dividends, right down to the compensation of executives, even. Yeah. Because you've got to motivate them. And then making sure that there's no hesitation, you're completely resolute, there's no absolutely no fear exhibited, even though inside, I'm thinking, holy crow, this is the biggest thing we've ever done. This better work. But you got to show them, one, we're doing this. Two, I'm confident it is not only the right thing, but that we can do it and then you yeah. just put your head down and then you have to make sure you are aware of pockets of resistance and you get rid of that right away at one point yeah. i actually said to people crassly you're all grass and i'm a lawnmower <laughs> like oh, <laughs> wait a I, sec that that sounds
0: like a different guy i it know like- i know
1: but by the way it's very effective when the nice mild mannered guy uh-oh, suddenly, either raises his voice or says something that is threatening.
0: Yeah. much
1: more. Oh, that was my my secret weapon was always oh, that. If yeah. I get banned once, like a year, that's a great. That's a that's very yeah. effective.
0: And that's actually a, a kind of scary image. That's that 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 hits a note in the mind of a, an employee. Um, but that's well, I want to go. I want to leave a little time. We're, we're we don't have a ton of time, but I want to talk about the NBA. It's one, maybe the only thing I might know a little bit more than a business I'm in. Not might, you uh, do. Yeah, but, but but a business you might want to be in. Um, you've accomplished more than sounds like you ever thought you would. Yet you have told me, and and I think uh, we'll say now that you, there's one goal, um, or a goal, I should say. I'm sure you have more than one of potentially owning a team in the NBA. And um, the I'm I'm, inter- I'm interested in the why of it. I know you're a big basketball fan. And, and we're talking about, obviously, you could pursue other professional teams. Um, and I have. That I know you have? Okay, sure. Well, well, you can tell that story and, and, and add to it on the, the hope for an NBA team one day.
1: I tried to uh, uh, swing a deal to bring the Raiders and the Chargers to L.A., and, uh, and I had an option to own a piece of either of those teams in the process. That failed. The, the Chargers right. moved but under different circumstances. Um, but our bid, um, the Raiders, the Chargers, and me, <laughs> failed. Um, the Orange uh, Stan Kroenke, and the Rams, and the rest is history. And they won a Super Bowl and built one of the greatest stadiums in yeah. the sport, and they're, they're doing fine. It might have been the right decision, by the way. I think it was, the NFL made. Um, I was also part of a bid, one of the bids to buy Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a stake in in one of those, should we succeed, and we didn't. I I, I followed Premier League football or soccer, as we call it here in the States, for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am interesting because we've talked about brands. I'm well aware of the power of the professional sports brand, whether Mm -hmm. it's the Warriors or the Cowboys Mm -hmm. or the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or Chelsea. And so, Mm -hmm. just we talked earlier about high quality brands, branded content. Mm -hmm. Well, the words are high quality branded content, Mm as a phrase. Yeah. NBA is high-quality branded content. Anyway, I love the NBA. I, it, I still view it as an ascendant sport, meaning I think it's got a lot of growth ahead. Um, I think it's really an exciting sport. Um, I think it's healthy and it will only get healthier. Uh, I have a, a, a special relationship with Adam, meaning I've known him, Adam Silver, the commissioner. I've known him a very long time. I knew David Stern. My wife worked for the NBA as the co-host of NBA Inside Stuff the Amar Rashad. Yeah. For years. So, you know, there's pro basketball in my heart, but, you know, we'll see. I, 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 it's way premature to suggest that I'm about to buy a team, but my interest in owning a professional sports team has been known. I've confirmed that. And my interest in the NBA has been known, and I'll let people put two and two together. And
0: so, so so I wanna, I wanna, we'll take it once the last question. So if you're, you've got a team, um, your general manager, just uh, or coach made a mistake. You're, are you the owner that uh, walks down and what the hell were you guys doing? You don't you don't strike me as such. Uh, you you'd call a meeting the next day and say I'm the lawnmower and you're the grass, guys. I no, so I'm a
1: big believer. You know, when you manage creative processes, um, creativity, um, and you know that it's not really a science, uh, and it's very unpredictable yeah. and risky. The best thing you can possibly do is, one, exhort everybody to um, pursue perfection at all times. I call it, you know, the, 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 you know, the, whatever, the constant pursuit of perfection or relentless pursuit of perfection. I'm a big believer in that. And that's both working hard and trying hard and you name it. Um, But I'm also a believer that when there are victories, you celebrate the victories with those that are most responsible for them. And when there are defeats, you commiserate with those that are responsible. Uh them you don't beat people up over it now prolonged lack of success obviously you have to deal with it i don't think anyone should would expect that i would be the kind of owner that would be um trying to run what happens on the court or Mm -hmm. second guessing what happens on the court but i also you know i view ownership of a team in a way in many respects is uh, is you know like you know, running a big company that's public, you're responsible to shareholders. In Team's case, yeah. I view them as fans. Yeah, you got to deliver yeah. for fans, but you're yeah. also responsible to your partners and to the league and to the players. And
0: I don't know. Yeah. I haven't thought about that. No, it. I think it. you'd. Uh, I have no doubt. You've actually. Uh, I think your past experiences would, uh, and also the public nature of your occupation. Like you've you've faced the public and you've risked uh, your own reputation and, and taken, um, you've gotten credit, you've gotten blame. I mean, that, that's, that does serve you well. Uh,
1: I have be been in the that. arena.
0: I have yeah, been. you have been in the arena. You've been, been. you've been there. You've been yeah. there.
1: Although, you know, I, it's interesting, you know, when, when Disney would put out a movie that wouldn't be as good as other movies and would fail, I wasn't sitting in the front row of a movie theater <laughs> so all, <laughs> all the people who went could throw popcorn at me.
0: If you're an owner and you go to a game, yeah. that's that you're you're, yeah. you're out there i mean you're that's you're, bob, that that's a big decision where to sit it feels good when the team is great bob maybe. you're taking
1: a <laughs> direction that suggested there's something <laughs> inevitable here and i know i know, it's, it's I know. Way too premature
0: i know i'm not i'll clarify there's no there's no eminency to any of this i uh it's a it's not in the it's not in the near future but maybe one day so thanks for coming on it was great i i love talking to you and uh I will I, I'm glad I get to keep talking to you. We just won't be doing it on a on a on a podcast. So thanks for coming on, Bob, Thank and I, I really much. appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity, Bob. I, I you know it goes without saying that I have enormous respect for you and the job that you've done. As an NBA fan, I truly appreciate that. And it's not easy. And it's not easy knowing that only one team out of you know thirty, some odd, you know, get that ring. Um You know, it's interesting in the movie business, there'd be five movies out
0: in a weekend, and a couple of them could do well.
1: That's not the case necessarily.
0: Anyway, that's a nice thing to say. And um, anytime you want to come to a game, you can sit in the front row, and nobody will throw anything at you. You're on. Uh, All right. Take care, Bob. Thanks a lot.